Um, today, we're going to do mostly math. We'll apply the math probably next time, uh, Thursday. Thursday, Wednesday, what's today? Tuesday? Thursday. Thursday. Um, so the next class, we'll apply this more to optics problems. We might have a chance, depending on how fast we go through this, to uh, do some problems at the end of lecture today. Um, but we're going to introduce Fourier analysis. And this is a really important concept in optics. There's entire courses taught on Fourier optics. But the gist of it, uh, the gist of the reason why we're going to consider Fourier analysis today is that if you have a lens, a lens does something really cool. Um, it takes whatever distribution you have of the field at one focal length away from the lens, and it produces the Fourier transform. One focal length away on the other side. So if you have, for example, a uh, delta function in the field, you get a spread in the uh, irradiance at the output, where the irradiance as a function of position here is the Fourier transform of the irradiance as a function of position there. Okay, So understanding Fourier transforms and Fourier analysis allows us to calculate how an image or an object gets converted by a lens into an image. That's one of the applications of it. There's, there's many more, but I think that's one of the really cool ones. Um, so to start with, we will define the orthogonality relationships that let us break apart arbitrary functions into sines, cosines. And we'll do an example with a square wave. And then we'll generalize that to the Fourier sine and cosine integrals. Do an example with the square pulse. And then talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the optical interpretations of the quantities that we're describing. Okay, so how many people have done I think I asked this once before, but Fourier analysis in other classes to this point. Okay, so this is, I think um, you don't understand Fourier analysis until you've done it five or six times. So it's in a sense review, but in another sense, uh, I think it's still useful to go through the analysis. Okay, so Jean-Baptiste Joseph Baron de Fourier said that an arbitrary function if it's periodic, could be represented by an infinite series of periodic terms, where those periodic terms are sines and cosines. So a periodic function can be represented as the sum of all these sinusoidal terms. And here it's written in terms of sinusoidal components, which are cosines, that have some phase. So Depending on this phase, this could be a cosine wave, or it could be a sine, a cosine function or a sine function, or it could be described as the sum of a cosine and a sine if the phase was somewhere between uh, something other than 0 or pi over 2. And so you see that there's a function here, which is periodic in lambda, a function here, which is periodic in lambda over 2. The next term would be a function that's periodic in lambda over 3. and so this function will assume his periodicity of lambda. Then all the functions that 
that combine to make it up are also periodic in lambda. So this form of the uh, Fourier expansion is not very commonly used. Uh, more frequently, we expand this, this uh, single sinusoidal term into the sum of a cosine and a sine wave. So the coefficient here that describes how much of this function is, or how much of this periodic function contributes to the function that we're considering, um, that coefficient and this phase are the two free parameters for each term. And when we write it as sines and cosines, the two free parameters are the amplitude of the sine and cosine waves. And so they're related by this relationship here. Um, obviously, if, if you have a phase of 0, then the amplitude of this term here is the amplitude of the cosine term. So if the phase is equal to 0, the phase is equal to 0, am equals cm. If the phase is equal to pi over 2, then this term is a sine wave, and the sine amplitude is equal to cm. And there's a minus sign there um, that comes from the trigonometric relationship here that allows us to make this, this connection. OK, so written in terms of sines and cosines, a Fourier series can be expressed like this. There's the first term, which is a DC term. It has no, no uh, spatial dependence. We had that before as well. And then there's the cosine terms. And we have to consider every possible frequency that's periodic in lambda. So if k is 2 pi over lambda, then a frequency of k is periodic in lambda. A frequency of 2k is periodic in lambda. It repeats twice. A frequency of 3k repeats three times in lambda. And you can go up to an infinite frequency that repeats an infinite number of times in lambda. So we have to sum over all possible frequencies from m equals 1 to infinity. And likewise for the sine term. You could write this. You could neglect this first term and do this sum from m equals 0 if you wanted. The a0 coefficient times cosine of 0 is just the dc term, which I pulled out in the front of that expression. So these coefficients, a0, am, and bm, need to be determined in order to represent this function in terms of its Fourier series. Okay, you can determine those functions using the orthogonality relationships of sine and cosine. Okay, so a couple worthwhile um, relationships to write down. First one says if you integrate the sine function over some distance, which is 
a distance over which this sine function is periodic. I mean, you're integrating over some integer number of wavelengths for this function. How many wavelengths for this function fit into one lambda? Let me write it out a little differently. So when x increases by lambda, how many 2 pi radians does this argument cycle through? m. So this is a function that goes through m full cycles in one wavelength. And this wavelength we're describing as the wavelength of, or the periodicity of this function in space. So this represents a sine wave that has a wavelength of lambda over m. This particular component has a wavelength of lambda over m. And we're integrating, if we integrate from 0 to lambda, we're going to integrate m full wavelengths. What happens if you integrate over a full wavelength of a sinusoidal function? What do you get? You get 0, because you're averaging over the positive and the negative parts. So this is equal to 0. Likewise, if you integrate over a full wavelength of a cosine function, you get the same thing. You're integrating over positive and negative parts. So we'll use those relationships. Um, for example, to find a naught, that's the first of the three terms that we need to be able to figure out. To find a naught, what we'll do is we'll integrate this function over a wavelength, over one period. And so the function, if we describe it in terms of its Fourier series. There's a DC component. What do you get when you integrate? A, this is a constant. If I integrate it from 0 to lambda, what do I get? A naught lambda over 2. Right? These other terms have a constant times a cosine that repeats m times over my integral area. So this is going to average out to 0 when I integrate it. And the sine term also averages out to 0. I'm just doing the integral up here. So when I do this integral, all I get is a contribution from the DC component. So if I can take my function, if I have a functional form for it, and I can integrate it from 0 to lambda, I can set that equal to a naught lambda over 2 and solve for a naught. Right, so a naught is 2 over lambda times the integral of my function from 0 to lambda. If I know what my function is, if I have the functional form for it, I can plug it in, evaluate this integral, and know what a naught is. And it's worth noting, there's a physical significance to what this is. If we look at the Fourier expansion here, there's this term, which has no spatial dependence, and then there's these terms, which are sinusoidal oscillations in space. 
Okay, so these things are variations around some average value. This is the average value. Okay, and we can see that here. If you take a function and you integrate it over some distance, and then you divide by that distance, that's an average. And so this is twice the average of the function. So a0 over 2 is the average of the function. Okay, so if I draw a function, and it's periodic, or I'm trying to make it sort of periodic, I've got a fairly imprecise drawing technique here, but you could look at that and estimate a0. a0 is the average value twice the average value. So that's the physical significance of that first term. Okay, in order to evaluate the other terms, the AM and the BM term, we're also going to need some relationships for integrals. We're going to need these relationships, which are the orthogonality relationships for sine and cosine. Two quantities are said to be orthogonal if when you multiply them together, you get 0 in a very general sense. Two vectors, when you take the dot product, the dot product equals 0. Those vectors are orthogonal. Two functions are orthogonal if you multiply them together. And when you integrate, you get 0. Okay, So let's consider sine a times cosine of b, sine a kx times cosine of b kx. That is a. Um, is a sinusoidally oscillating expression. Because this term is repetitive in lambda, and this term is repetitive in lambda, their product is also repetitive in lambda. Right? This is a sinusoidally oscillating term. And so when we integrate over one period, we're going to get 0. And if you like, you can look up the trig identity for sine and cosine. And you get something that depends on sine plus something that depends on cosine. Each of those, when integrated over one full period, gives you 0. I haven't bothered to write out that trig identity here, because I'll leave that for you to do on your own. Um, so sine of a kx times cosine of b kx integrates to 0. Sine of a kx times sine of b kx will also integrate to 0, unless a and b are equal to 0, or equal to the each other. So we can see that from. Um, if they're different, well, if they're the same, then this becomes sine of akx squared. That's a number, that's a function that's always positive. It has a maximum value of 1, minimum value of 0. And if you integrate over one full period, you get 1 half times the wavelength. Right, so the area under this curve is uh, 1 half times lambda. Okay, So we can express this relationship as 
Um, it's 0 if a and b are not equal to each other. And it's equal to lambda over 2 if a equals b. So we'll use the Kronecker delta function. That's a function that equals 1 when its two indices are the same. And it equals 0 when the two indices are different. Okay, So if a equals b, this is equal to 1. If a is not equal to b, this is equal to 0. Have you seen this function before? Yes? Have you not seen this function before? Okay, let me write out a couple, couple functions that we're going to use today that are useful so that when I write it out, you recognize it. So this is called the Kronecker delta function. Did I spell that right? Kronecker. generally used when a and b are integers. And so if we were to plot this, say if we were to plot as a function of a delta ab, it would have a value of 1 at a equals b. The other one that we're going to use is the Dirac delta function. And that's written more in functional form, delta of x. And that equals infinity at x equals 0. It equals 0 at x not equals 0. And it obeys. an expression that says the area under the curve is equal to 1. Which is also the case for the Dirac delta function, or the Kronecker delta function. Think of it in terms of integers. The area under this curve is equal to 1 as well. So if I write the Dirac delta function In this form, x minus x naught. That's zero everywhere except where? Except at x naught. Right. So you can shift this, the location of this, this spike around by adding a term to the argument. Okay, so this just says that this integral is equal to zero everywhere except in the case where a equals b. And likewise, the product of two cosines is zero everywhere except when a equals b. So if we go back to our Fourier series here, and we want to find out the value of AM or BM, we do essentially the same thing that we did before to find out the value of A0, which is we take our function and we integrate it over one full wavelength or one full period of the function. And we integrate both the function and we integrate the Fourier uh, series that represents the function. And in this case, we're going to multiply both sides by a term. And if we want to find 
the values for am. We're going to multiply both sides by cosine of nkx. If we wanted to find the values of bm, we'd multiply both sides by sine of nkx. And so here's what this does. Um, let me write out the full Fourier series integral. So for the example here, I'm trying to find the value of the coefficients a sub m. So I multiply this by cosine of nkx, and I integrate it over one full period. So here's the full relationship I have when I multiply both sides by cosine of nkx and then integrate both sides from 0 to infinity, or 0 to lambda. Thanks. So I multiply both sides by the same quantity. I've integrated both sides over the same range. So if if this expression holds, then this expression should hold too. I've done the same operations to both sides. Okay, so on the left side, I have this arbitrary function. I don't know how to evaluate this right now. It depends on the function. But on the right side, I can evaluate each term. What is the integral of a cosine function over a length in which it's periodic? Zero. Right. So this integrates to 0. What is the integral of am times cosine mkx times cosine nkx? That's the, yeah, that's the Kronecker delta function. So I'll give it indexes m and n. Those have to be equal in order for that to, uh, to integrate. So if I, I can take the sum outside of the integral and evaluate cosine mkx times cosine nkx dx, that gives me the Kronecker delta function times lambda over 2. And then I still have the sum over all values of m. and had a constant there, which was a sub m. And then over here, I have sine mkx times cosine nkx. That always integrates to 0, because sine and cosine are, are orthogonal. And so this is the expression. This is the evaluation of the right side of this expression. Now, I'm going to sum over all values for m. And for all values of m, this term equals 0. 
except which one? For m equals n. So for m equals n, I can write this as a n times the delta function equals 1 times lambda over 2. So I get this relationship, which I can solve for a n. And if I want, I can change the name of this variable n and call it m. And then I've got an expression for the nth term as 2 over lambda times the integral of the function times cosine mkx dx. Right. n is just a dummy variable. It's just a, just a number. So I can call it n, I can call it m, and that's the, the form that I have up here. I can do a similar thing where I multiply both sides by sine instead of cosine. And then it's not, the, it's not this term that survives, it's this term that survives. And I get a very similar expression for b sub m. So b sub m is related to the integration of the function times sine of m k x. OK, so um, let's extract a little bit of meaning from this. Um, here's our expression for an arbitrary periodic function. If that function is an odd function, an odd function is one where um, f of x is minus f of minus x. So what's an example of an odd function? x. <laughs> x, x cubed, x to the fifth, x raised to any odd power is going to be odd. Sine x is an odd function. Okay, so any of those functions have to be able to be expressed in terms of other odd functions. Which means, since cosine then is an even function, it's a function where f of x is the same as f of minus x. It's symmetric around uh, x equals 0. That means you can't have cosine terms contributing to an odd function. Likewise, you can't have sine terms that contribute to an even function. So I drew a little scribble on the board before, and I said, you can look at this and estimate what a naught is. Likewise, if I draw a function, say this is x equals 0, If I draw some function and you look at it, um, you can immediately say a few things. You can say that this value is a0 over 2, the average value. What else can we say about this function that I drew? Imagine that it was drawn better. <laughs> yeah, I, I was attempting to draw an even function, a sort of complicated and random-looking function, but one that was even. And so what does that tell me about these other terms, am and bm? Yeah, so bm is equal to 0 for any, any value of m. Okay, so sometimes it's possible, without going through and doing the full integrations, to make this type of 
blanket assumption, blanket statement. So let's do an example. Let's do the square wave example. There's a lot of situations where we have square waves. Right? In electronics, you have digital pulses that could be represented by square waves. Um, in optics, a square wave would represent, for example, a series of slits in a mask, which we'll see later. Um, but let's determine the Fourier series for this square wave. So one full wavelength of the wave we call lambda, and that's one peak and one valley. And so we can start off, we need to figure out two th three things, A0, AM, and BM. What can I tell without doing any math yet? Which of these values are going to be 0? AM is equal to 0. This is an, is it even or odd? It's odd, so it needs to be made up of which? Sines or cosines? Sines. So there should be no cosine components. And AM was the cosine terms. Uh, one more thing I can figure out without doing any math yet. A0 is equal to 0. The mean value of this function, as I've drawn it, is 0. Okay, so all I have to do is figure out BM. So I have an expression. I guess I don't have the expression for B of M, but this is the relationship that I'll use that I will use to find B of N. Or written in terms of m, b of m is equal to 2 over lambda times the integral from 0 to lambda f of x sine m times k. What is k? 2 pi over lambda times x dx. And now let me write out this integral for the function that I have. There's two parts to this function. It's piecewise continuous from 0 to lambda over 2. So I'll break this integral up into two integrals, one from 0 to lambda over 2. What's the functional value in that range? It's just 1, right, plus 1, times sine of m2 pi over lambda x dx, plus integral from lambda over 2 to lambda, where the function has a value of minus 1. Yeah? I can do it that way, too. You have to integrate. So the way that I derived it was in a form that goes from 0 to lambda. Okay, but it would also hold if you went from, if you integrate over one full period, you'll get the same result.
Okay, so it doesn't really matter. I could go from here to here, or from there to there. So it's it's your choice. And so when you the integral of sine is um, is minus cosine. And I have to take this argument and divide by the argument. So I have an m. You write it as a m two pi over lambda. And I evaluate this at zero and lambda over two. So yeah, I'm just noticing that. So when I evaluate at lambda over two, right, I get m times pi. So cosine of m pi, the cosine of zero is one. Cosine of pi is minus one. Cosine of two pi is plus one. So this is going to look like um, minus one raised to the mth, when m is equal to 0, when m is equal to 0, cosine of m pi is 0 is 1. So minus 1 to the 0 is 1. Minus 1 to the 1 is minus 1. OK, so that's the expression for this evaluated at lambda over 2. Evaluated at 0 is 1. And over here, the lambdas cancel, the 2 cancel. I get minus 1 over pi. So that was this first term. Then I have a second term. I get a minus sign from this function here. The integral of sine is, again, cosine. The expression is the same. It's just the, the bounds of my integral that change. And it's plus because, yeah, there's a minus sign from the function and a minus sign from the integration. So it's a plus. Thank you. I'm going to evaluate that at lambda and lambda over 2. So evaluated at lambda, I have cosine of m times 2 pi, which is always going to be 1. Evaluated at lambda over 2, I've already evaluated that. It's negative 1 to the mth. And so I can put all this together to say that b sub m is 1 over pi. And then, let's see, I've got a minus negative 1, which is plus 1, plus 2. Oh, the m's are in the denominator. Thank you. And then here I have minus, minus 1 to the m, plus minus, minus 1 to the m. So minus 2 times minus 1 to the m. So 
if I think about this a little bit, this is saying that when m is even, this term is equal to plus 1. I have 1 minus 1. So for m, equals, for m being even, my value for bm is 0. And when m is odd, this term is equal to minus 1. I get 1 minus minus 1, which is 2. So I can write this in a little bit more transparent form as b to the m equals 4 over pi m for m is, uh, we're going to say, odd. And 0 for m is even. So I can look at what this expression means in terms of my Fourier series. If I go back to my Fourier series, it means I can write this function as the sum of all these terms, which m is different values. Right, so there's 4 pi is constant. The 4 over pi comes out. And I have all the m equals odd terms. So sine of kx, so that's sine of 1 kx sine of 3kx, sine of 5kx. And the 1 over m reduces the amplitude of each successive coefficient, each successive term. Right, so if I look at this square wave, and now I approximate that square wave by its Fourier series, if I consider just the first term in the series, that's uh, this sine wave right here. It has an amplitude of 4 over pi sine kx. So its peak is at 4 over pi. That's a little bit larger than 1. Right? So it overshoots this value of 1. When I add in the next term, that's this magenta curve here. It's a little hard to see, but um, adding in a term which we think about what uh, sine of 3kx is going to do. It's going to have a peak over here, a peak over here, and a valley over here. So it's going to subtract a little from the first term where it was too high, and it's going to add a little bit where it was too low. And so that magenta curve then so still overshoots, but it has a little bit of ripple, and then goes back down and repeats on the other side. The next term, the sine 5kx, is in yellow here, which is almost invisible. So I'll skip that one. Go on to the cyan one, which has four terms. And you can see now that it overshoots again. It has more ripple because it has more high-frequency components. It has a term which looks like sine 7kx. So it's going to see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 ripples on the top of this wave. And it's a better approximation. It has a little bit of overshoot. It has some ripple. And the more terms I add to this, the better the approximation will be to this square wave. In electronics, if you have a square wave, or if you think you have a square wave, 
and you send it through some, some circuit, chances are that circuit has some, some finite response time. It has resistors and capacitors in it. Maybe they're intentionally there, or maybe they're just the intrinsic capacitance of the circuit board and such. But there's usually some sort of low-pass filtering that essentially removes the higher frequency components. You think of this as a, this square wave as a sum of higher and higher frequency sine components. Then when you remove the higher frequency components, you can see what comes out is not a square wave, but has some ripple on it and has some approximation. It's essentially what we're drawing here, which is the lower frequency components of the Fourier series. There's other series, sure. And for different geometries, um, for a cylindrical geometry, for example, Bessel series are going to be the natural choice. Um, you can describe any arbitrary function in terms of sines and cosines. There are certain functions that are inconvenient to describe in terms of sines and cosines. They require an infinite number of terms, and the terms aren't necessarily decaying. So for those types of series, there's other functions that are better described. So an example is a, a laser beam. A laser beam might have an irradiance profile that looks like this. You plot the irradiance as a function of cross-section through the beam. Um, it's always going to go to zero at infinity. It's a beam. And so sines and cosines don't really make sense to describe this function because they, have an, they go on to infinity. So better functions to describe this are, for example, Gaussian functions. Hermite-Gaussian functions are Essentially, sines and cosines times a Gaussian. So it adds in this exponential decay. So you could describe this maybe in terms of two or three components instead of an infinite number. So there's times where other basis sets are more convenient. It's just like in uh, geometry, there's times where, X, where Cartesian coordinates are not convenient to describe some function. Even though you can describe any function in terms of Cartesian coordinates, we have cylindrical and spherical coordinates because certain geometries lend themselves to that more. Okay, so um, let's consider another square wave. This one is not just a uh, regular square pulse like we had before, but the peaks have a different width than the valleys, and it's drawn so that the uh, valleys are at 0 and the peaks are at 1. So this is a series of pulses, a regular series of pulses. Um, so it's periodic, but this is not a sine or a cosine um, function itself. We can e expand it and describe it in terms of sines and cosines. OK, so let's consider this square wave, or this uh, series of pulses. This is my Fourier uh, function, or my Fourier uh, expansion. Now, if this represents a function of position, then this, is an ar this argument is just x. If this is a wave that's traveling at some velocity, this argument 
will be x plus or minus vt. Right? That's a function that moves at a velocity v. So I can do the Fourier analysis in terms of x, or I can do it in terms of x minus vt. Meaning, if I do the Fourier analysis for what the function looks like at time 0, whatever, anal- whatever uh, Fourier transform I get, whatever the uh, components of that function are, those are all going to propagate at a velocity v. Okay, so let me do that for this, this case. We do the same type of analysis. Um, first of all, what is a naught without looking at the answer? Can you figure out what the average value of this function is? These peaks, this, the width of these pulses is 2a. I'm sorry, the width is 2 lambda over a. a is a is the fractional width of this pulse relative to a wavelength. So the greater A is, the narrower these pulses are. If A is 100, this pulse width is 100 of the wavelength. Actually, it's 2 100ths of the wavelength. What's that? Right. So the greater A is, the less the average value should be, should be. And we can evaluate this mathematically. A naught is 2 over lambda times the integral from 0 to lambda of the function. So the function is just 1 between points where it's the pulse is on. So if I integrate, for example, from 0 to lambda, right, or in this case it might make more sense um, to integrate from minus lambda over 2 to plus lambda over 2. In that case, the function only is non-zero from minus lambda over a to plus lambda over a. So I'll integrate from minus lambda a to plus lambda over a. The function has a value of 1. So that just gives me 2 lambda over a when I integrate it times 2 over lambda gives me 4 over a, which is, as expected, as a gets bigger, meaning the pulses are getting narrower, the average value is getting smaller. So that's a naught. Um, Is this an odd or an even function? It's even. So we'd expect that all the b's are 0, and all the a's are what we need to evaluate the a's. The a's are the coefficients in front of the cosines. Okay, so our expression for finding a sub m is 2 over lambda times the integral of the function times cosine of mkx. Okay, so again, I only need to integrate from minus lambda. Um, I'll integrate from minus lambda over 2 to plus lambda over 2, because I'm considering this interval there, of cosine mkx delta x times, and the function is missing here. Draw that in. Um, the function only has values from minus lambda over a to plus lambda over a. So I only need to evaluate the integral from those regions. Gregor? And then double it? Yeah. Well, we're integrating 
the function from here to here times cosine. Why can't we integrate from 0 to lambda? We can. We can integrate over any full period of the function. Okay, so we're integrating from minus lambda over 2 to plus lambda over 2. The function only has values from minus lambda over a to plus lambda over a, so I just consider I can either add the function here, I could change those 2s to a's to make that expression correct. So the integral of cosine is sine, and then the mk that's in the argument comes into the denominator. So I get sine mkx over mk, evaluated from lambda over a to minus lambda over a. Okay, so evaluating at lambda over a, let me do the evaluation on the board, because we're going to introduce a function here that's um, a common function that we're going to use. I don't want to gloss over this. So I'm going to take this, I'm going to evaluate it at lambda over a. So I have m times 2 pi over lambda times lambda over a. The lambdas cancel. All over mk minus, now I have the same thing evaluated at minus lambda over a. So this term and this term are going to have the same magnitude. And I can write k as 2 pi over lambda. The lambdas will cancel. The 2s will cancel. And then I have these two terms that have the same magnitude. So there's a factor of 2 times sine. 2 pi m over a. Okay, now you see that there's this term m and this term pi in the sine function. And that also appears in the denominator over here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, multiply this function by 1 such that I um, add a couple terms a couple terms that I can group together I wrote this in the wrong order. This term here is 1 over this term, the argument. Okay, so I added a few terms to the numerator and denominator so I could generate the same argument the same terms in the denominator that I had in the argument. And I do that because there's a function that, a functional form that we come across a lot in optics, which we call the sinc function. It's sine x over x. So I can write this 
as now 2 times 2, which is 4 over a, times <coughs> the sinc function of 2 pi m over a. Just a little more compact way to express it. And that's our final form there. Um, so the sinc function, it's sine x over x. So is it an odd or an even function? It looks odd because sine x is odd and x is odd as well. But when we divide them, we actually get an even function. Okay, so it's a function that has an, an amplitude that looks like 1 over x and sinusoidal oscillations underneath it. And so when x becomes negative, sine of negative x is minus sine of x. And x is minus negative x, and the two minus signs cancel out. That's why it's even. Um, so this is what the sinc function looks like. It's equal to 1 at 0, which is not obvious looking at this. Sine of 0 over 0 is 0 over 0. It, look, it appears indeterminate, but if you use Le Hapital's rule, you can evaluate that and find that it's equal to 1. OK, so that gives me. Um, an expression for the Fourier series of this pulse. So the greater m is, the greater the argument of the sinc function, which means the smaller the term is. Gregory? Where's the, oh, right here. It, look, it looks like I've just written that twice. Is that? Yes, I do. This was the evaluation of a sub m. There's also a DC term at 4 over a, okay, which, by the way, is what you get when you evaluate this at m equals 0. So this should, OK, yeah, so this should be a plus, I see. So this is the full series. This is the DC term. There should be a plus. And then these are all the other higher order terms. And this is the amplitude of the nth term. These are the A coefficients. So they're the amplitude of the cosine terms. So my cosine term would be cosine mkx. But since I was dealing with a traveling wave, I'm replacing x with x minus vt. You can write that as mkx minus m omega t. And so it has a higher spatial frequency and it has a higher temporal frequency then. Okay, um, let me skip that. So here's an example of this function where the pulse width is about half of the, the repetition pattern. And so here's my sinc function. The sinc function gets evaluated. I should probably write out what my function looked like. 
2 pi m over a. So here's my function. There are frequency components at k, at 2k, at 3k, at 4k, at 5k. So if I wanted to plot the amplitude of this function, not in terms of, not write the function as in terms of x, or in terms of x minus v of t, but instead write a function that described the amplitude of the different frequency components. I would have at a frequency of 0, or at a value of m equals 0, I have an amplitude of 4 over a, and then at m equals 1, I have a spatial frequency of k equals 2 pi over lambda. And at that frequency, the amplitude of this frequency component is 4 over a times sinc 2 pi m over a. And I can plot that. So let's say I plug in values for a and for for a, yeah, I guess just for a, and m equals 1. And I get a value and I plot that there. And so this is, there's a discrete number of frequencies. Each one is an integer multiple of 2 pi or lambda. And each of those frequencies has some amplitude which I can plot as the, ampli as the um, amplitude of the Fourier frequency components. This is called a frequency spectrum. This would be called a time series. Or a, uh, as a function of x would be the uh, functional form. This is the frequency description of that function. And up here I've plotted what that frequency spectrum looks like. There's a DC component, and then there's components at every integer multiple of 2 pi over lambda. The amplitude of those is given by the sinc function. So I've superimposed a sinc function. That's the envelope that describes the amplitude. So some of these terms have negative amplitude, some have positive. And as A gets bigger, the pulse gets smaller relative to a wavelength. So if the pulse, if I instead imagine the pulse being the same width, it's like the wavelength getting longer. Okay, so as the repetition rate becomes less and less frequent, the wavelength is getting longer, k is getting smaller, meaning the spacing of these frequency components gets closer together. So if the wavelength goes to infinity, the spacing of these frequency components goes to zero. And 
this Fourier series becomes what we call the Fourier transform. And the, for the, the frequency spectrum is no longer a set of spikes, but it's a continuous function. So any frequency that I choose has some amplitude, unless it happens to be at one of these zero crossings. Whereas over here is only frequencies that were at um, integer multiples of k. Okay, so generalizing our Fourier series to a Fourier transform basically means converting these sums into integrals and replacing these amplitude coefficients with amplitude functions. Okay, so we'll let A of k be the amplitude of this function. A of m was the amplitude of this discrete set of values. A of k is a continuous function. Okay, so we'll replace A of m with A of k. We'll replace the sum with an integral. So we're going to integrate. Before we were summing over all m, now we'll integrate over all k. We'll go from 0 to infinity. And because we go from 0, this integral encompasses the m equals 0 term. So I don't need to include this average over here. That'll be the value of a of k evaluated at k equals 0. And likewise, for the, the sine components, I have a similar expression for b. So this is one form of the Fourier, um, the Fourier integral in terms of sines and cosines. You'll see a lot of different definitions. Um, different texts have different constants in front of these. Um, and you can also express this in terms of sines and cosines. You can express it in terms of amplitude and phase of complex numbers. So we're just going to deal with the sine and cosine term. Um, but I just mentioned that so that if you see it elsewhere in a different form, you realize it's really the same thing. OK, so let's consider now a pulse that is just a single pulse or a single top hat function. So this looks like our square wave, except it's not repetitive, just a single single value. We could probably figure out what the um, Fourier transform of this would be by taking our expression for the Fourier series we got before and letting k go to 0, letting the wavelength go to infinity. But here we'll evaluate it explicitly. Um, odd or even function? Even. So the b values are 0. The sine terms are 0. So we only need to consider the cosine terms, which are the a terms. My value for a has the same form that it had before. Um, it's the function multiplied by the argument integrated over a full wavelength. But now this thing doesn't repeat, so the wavelength is infinite. So I'm integrating over infinity. And I've chosen to define this such that there's no no uh, constant out in front of that term. So I've included the constant. Before I had a 2 over lambda. And I've included that constant out here in the definition. OK, so 
integrating over infinity for this function really means integrating from minus l over 2 to plus l over 2, because the function is 0 everywhere else. So I'll replace those limits with minus l over 2 and plus l over 2 and plug in my function in that integral. Um, the function is, has a constant value of e naught. So I have e naught times cosine kx integrated from minus l over 2 to plus l over 2. So just like we had before, integral of cosine is sine. The argument, this, uh, factor in the argument goes into the, to the denominator. And I already evaluated an expression like this. And I got a sinc function, which I get again. Okay, so upon initially evaluating, I get some sine function over some value. And I rearrange the denominator so that it has the same expression as the, the argument. And then I write this as e naught l times sinc kl over 2. So l is the, the width of this function. So as L becomes smaller, as L becomes smaller, I need to go to higher k to get the same value of this argument, meaning this frequency spectrum would spread out. So as the slick gets narrower, the functional form of this just expands. Right? And as L gets long, as L gets large, this functional form gets compressed. For example, the first, if we look at where the first zero crossing is, it's at KL over 2 is equal to pi. And so if L gets long, the first zero crossing occurs at a value of K, which becomes short. So the whole function gets compressed. Okay? If L becomes infinite, this becomes a delta function. If L becomes 0, this becomes a constant. OK, so I want to end by relating this back to optics. So let's consider the case of a slit. Um, there's a particular diffraction pattern for a single slit, which you probably uh, learned in physics 52. Um, we'll certainly evaluate this in more detail in later chapters, but for now we can use um, we can use our expression for a top hat function actually to calculate this irradiance pattern. So let's say we've got a slit and it's uniform it's uniformly illuminated. So we have a plane wave coming in and uniformly illuminating this slit. Then the functional form of the electric field at this position, so call it at x equals 0. If the functional form of the electric field is a function of y, looks like looks like this. Okay, we've already seen that. That's what we had here. Right? We had a constant value for the function from minus L over 2 to plus L over 2. And that's what we have here. Okay, so it's exactly the same. So if I want, I can write this electric field 
in terms of the different frequency components. Okay, I'm going to do that. So at x equals 0, the functional form of the electric field looks like e naught l over pi times sink of k. Well, if, if this is a, if this coordinate is y, then this should be k sub y. It should be the y component of the k vector. So I'm just replacing all the x's with y's and all the k's with k sub y. And now, here's my slit. Here's my screen. And I consider light that's incident at a height y on the screen. If I consider that coming from the slit, and assume the slit is narrow, then the direction of this ray the direction of the ray can be thought of in terms of the k vector is pointing in the direction of the ray and that has a y component k sub y so the angle theta Let me write it this way. K sub y is equal to k naught sine theta, where theta is going to be y over the distance to the screen. So I can write this expression. What's that? Um, if 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 y is small compared to l, there'll be I should. Now, I'll replace ky with k naught y over l times l over 2. Obviously, the l's cancel times cosine of So 
this term right here, when I look at the irradiance, the irradiance is proportional to the electric field squared. And this term here, when I square it, is the spatial distribution of this profile. This term over here, if I look, I said y was much smaller than l. Okay, This term is going to be negligible. It's cosine of a small number is approximately 1. So when I square this thing, E0 look like I0, the incident intensity L squared over pi squared times sinc K0Y over 2 squared. And if I want, I can expand that sinc function. K0 4 over K0 squared. My what? Integral. My integral? Yeah. Uh, good question. Um, yeah, I kind of glossed over that. This function, this at x equals 0, this is my function. And it's the sum of an infinite number of different frequency components, each which has a different direction. So each value for ky is a different direction. So we can think of it as a bunch of different waves, a bunch of different plane waves propagating in different directions. That's what I have over here. When I propagate over here, what happens is each direction, instead of having all the different waves at the same point, where I have to sum them up with an integral, I now have all the different waves at different points. So each component of this integral propagated to a different point on this screen. So when we get to, actually, I don't know if we'll get to this, but um, when we talk, I guess it's chapter 21 in the textbook, deals with uh, Fourier analysis. It goes into much more detail about how the um, profile in this plane gets transformed to the profile in this plane, and this is just one of the results of that. Okay, so... Yeah. And this is where, so this is where it comes from for a linear slit. You can do the same thing for a, a cylindrical slit or a, 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 a circular aperture. And you get a similar expression. It's in terms of Bessel functions, not sine functions. Um, but that, that tells you something about the resolution of an imaging device. So the, the width of this spot tells you, for example, if this were a lens over here and this is a CCD plane, how big an individual pixel needs to be in order to, uh, in order to contain unique information. We'll talk more about that in future classes.